Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Riverbend. How you doing? All right. So uh, this morning, if you are with us uh, live in the room here in Gainesville, if you're with us in Oakwood, if you're with us online, uh, this week is fall break week for a lot of our families. A lot of our families are, are out of town, just enjoying some family time. So uh, welcome to uh, just being able to gather again uh, online to those of y'all that, that are traveling. Continue to pray for safety for y'all. Uh, but we are actually in the middle of a series or, or coming to the conclusion of a series called We Are Riverbend. And in this series, we're talking about not only who we are as a church and who we're called to be as a church, but also understanding that each organism, each body is made up of individual cells. So who we are as a church is also who we are to be individually. So when we talk about the fact that it is important that we gather together, it's important that we gather together as a church, but it's also important that we gather together in small groups and in communion with Jesus and the Holy Spirit each morning uh, together. When we talk about one of our core values as a church being family matters, um, it's really important that we live that out on on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or here corporately as a church, but it's even more important that we live that out in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our communities. So we are going to be looking at this morning, um, not necessarily a key cultural value, but an overall premise of uh, we are where we are. So being here for a purpose, being here for a reason. And I started thinking about just different times and different seasons, um, especially over this past week. Uh, Julie and I, we were flipping through some old pictures, some old, old photos. Um, our oldest son, Landon, is getting married um, this, uh, this Friday, so we're really excited about that. But we were flipping through some old pictures of them. I want to show you real quick. There's one of them. Um, so Georgia fan by birth. There's another one. That's when Sadie was born. So Landon and, and, and Jax, Sadie was convinced because we told her until she was like, 10. She was born with a bow in her hair. And then that's Landon. He's probably uh, two in that picture. Um, he was always big. He's actually four in that picture. Um, but it's kind of a bittersweet time for us, right? Because this is like, this is our oldest son. He's getting married. And, you know, I've been asked all these questions. Are you going to cry? And I was like, mind your own business. Um, but here, here's what I will tell you is um, when your son gets an electric razor for his fifth grade birthday um, and you tuck him in at night and like lean over and kiss, kiss his cheek at night and his scruff like rubs your, that kind of prepares you over, over some time. So uh, in, in all seriousness, like we're really excited for him and for Emerald and everything that God has in store for him. But we just are reminded or very much reminded of different times and different seasons and each of these pictures, they kind of bring us back. They, they, they brought Julie and I back to that time and that season with that, those stresses and those worries. And isn't it amazing how when you look back over your past, the things that seemingly stressed you out before, you sit there and go, man, I would sign up for those in a heartbeat right now, right? It's not like life slows down or becomes more simplistic. A lot of times it becomes more complicated. The older we get, the more we go through life, the more challenges we get. Um, the more challenges come our way. And, you know, that, that's God's way of preparing us. God uses our past to prepare us for our present. And God uses our present to prepare us for our future. But 
Each of these times, each of these seasons represent um, just kind of a stage of life that in some ways we wish that we could go back and live over again. In other ways, we're like, hey, thank you, Jesus, for bringing us through that stage. But, you know, where this is kind of the thought that kind of came across my mind. And this is the big idea for us this morning. Is wherever we may be, each one of us is here for a purpose. Wherever we may be, each one of us is here for a purpose. And let me kind of spend a little bit of time unpacking that for a second. Because I'm not just talking about location. I mean, each of us are here, and, and that's true. Each of us is here whether you're on the Gainesville campus. It's not by accident or coincidence that you're here. Each of you that are on our Oakwood campus is not by accident or coincidence that you are there. Each of you joining us online, wherever you may be, you're, you're there for a purpose. But I'm also talking about um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, maybe relationally, financially, vocationally, academically. Like we are, we all are somewhere. Like somewhere, and I'm not just talking about location-based. We are all somewhere, mentally or vocationally, in our careers, in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships. We are all somewhere, but that somewhere always comes with a purpose. Now, here's two sides of that truth. Number one, that actually gives us great hope. And here's the great hope, is that God is not finished with any of us yet. So wherever you may be, that is not your ultimate destination. So if you're struggling this morning, listen, you are in the company of a lot of strugglers. But you're also in the company of people that God is, is looking to redeem the struggle and to move forward into victory. So wherever you may be, that's not your final destination. In other words, the final chapter hasn't been written for your life. That's why we can move forward in great hope, is knowing that God is not finished with any of us yet. So you're, you're at a crossroads in your marriage. Listen, you are where you are right now for a purpose, but God's not finished with you yet. You are where you are financially, okay, but God's not finished with you yet. In your relationship, in your friendship, mentally, emotionally, you are where you are, okay, but God's not finished with you yet. There's great hope in that. But the flip side of that coin, the challenge of that is where we are right now can seem so big and so insurmountable. Is there anyone, anybody with us in Gainesville or Oakwood or online that you would identify that where you are right now, you're not just looking ahead at a mountain, you're looking ahead, it feels like a sheer cliff. It feels like you can never get past where you currently are. You may be where you are, you may have been where you are, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for a couple years, maybe during this time and during the season of life. And where you are right now, the flip side of the hope that God's not finished with you yet, is it seems so insurmountable to move forward. So when the challenges seem so insurmountable to move forward, here's what we're tempted to do. We're just tempted to like plop down, sit down, and just stay, and just to accept where we are as the new normal. And what I want to do in our time together this morning is I want to take you to a passage and a scripture to where God is going to walk us through and give us some encouragement, give us some insight into this quandary. And it's found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 4. Let me kind of give you a, uh, just kind of an insider tip 
Turn to the table of contents in your Bible and then turn to the page. So Zechariah is one of those kind of hard books to find in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's the book right before Malachi, which is the book, last book of the Old Testament. It's right before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But like I said, it's much easier just turn to the table of contents and turn to the page number. But Zechariah chapter 4, and we're going to be picking it up in verse 6. But while you're making your way there, let me kind of give you a little bit of historical context. And let me also explain too, the reason that we want to give some historical context is not just to show that these were real times, real events, real people. Although that, that is true. Like it, it, it really underscores and it really um, provides a, a, a solid foundation for us as we're walking through Scripture to go, listen, these were real men, these were real women, these were real events. Like this really happened. These are not just fables, these are not just myths, these are not just fairy tales. These are historical accountings, these are historical events. It's important for us to know that. But more importantly, it's important to, for us to know the context of passages like this because we not only see real people, but we see a real God. And what we see is the God that spoke and acted then is, guess what, the same God that speaks and acts now. And once we understand the heart of God through the course of history and how God speaks and how God moves and how God acts through the course of history, we start to fall more in love with God. But guess what? We also start to see that even though decades and centuries pass, our basic soul longings as people stay the same. Our basic soul longings stay the same and the answer remains the same. There's some things that only God can do and God never changes. So, as we go into Zechariah chapter 4, here's kind of a brief nutshell version of the history of what we're looking at. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll start with, especially in the book of Genesis, you get, you'll run across a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham left his hometown of Ur. He traveled along. He had a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob had a son by the name of Joseph. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He becomes second command. And then the Pharaoh of Egypt says, hey, bring your whole family here. I'll give them like some great land and y'all can settle here. And then some time passes and the Egyptians start to enslave the Israelites. That's where Moses comes into the, into the picture. God selects Moses to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel into the promised land. The promised land is modern day Israel. Modern day Israel, of course, is in the news a lot these days. But this area right in here, their first king was a man by the name of Saul. And then Saul was, ended up being replaced by a man by the name of David, most well-known king in the Old Testament, King David. King David was known as a man after God's own heart. He certainly was not perfect, but he sought to honor and consult God and to rule up underneath the authority of God. King David's son Solomon started to drift more and more away from God. And then Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam really turned his back on God and made some really ill-advised decisions. And the result of those ill-advised decisions is this nation that once was Israel actually splits into two. So Israel is the nation to the north. Judah is the nation to the south. And Israel, they start to turn their backs on God completely. And as God's wake-up call to the nation of Israel... In the 700s BC, there's an Assyrian 
king by the name of Sennacherib. And Sennacherib comes and he besieges Samaria, the capital city of Assyria, and he brings all the people in the northern kingdom up and he exiles them into the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, the capital city, is Nineveh. So if you grew up in church and you come across the book of Jonah, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. It was the Assyrian capital of the day. Now, unfortunately, the nation to the south, Judah, they didn't pay attention to what God brought about and what God allowed to happen to their neighbors to the north. They too began to turn their backs on God. And God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come into um, Jerusalem, to come into this area. He completely sacks Jerusalem, and then he takes them away over into Babylon. And he brings these exiles, these Jewish exiles, into Babylon. The capital city of Babylon is 50 miles south of the current city of Baghdad, Iraq. And then Nebuchadnezzar is replaced by a man by the name of Darius. And then Darius eventually allows the nation of Israel to come back and to resettle into Jerusalem as almost like a vassal state. Like, listen, you don't want to stay here. You don't have to stay here. You can go back to your homeland. You can resettle your homeland. But you just uh, need to remember who, who the ultimate king is. So that's where when you get to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that's where those come into play. So the nation of Israel, these, this ragtag group of exiles and remnant, they go back to Jerusalem and they, re, they, they rebuild the walls around the city as a safety feature. But they never got around to rebuilding the temple. So they become so concerned about their safety and they become so concerned about having a working and operating economy that they just got lax on rebuilding the temple, which was completely ransacked and turned all completely over by Nebuchadnezzar about a century before. And this is where we pick it up in Zechariah chapter 4. Look with me in verse 6. It says, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Now, Zechariah is a prophet of God. In the Old Testament, a prophet of God was the anointed chosen mouthpiece of God. So God would speak his message to his prophet. The prophet would then speak his message to the people. Many times those messages were not popular to the people. So the prophets a lot of times were persecuted because they didn't like the message that God told them to tell the people. So Zechariah, this is his words. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is is a governor of this area. He's a governor of this area. Zerubbabel, it is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. Some of your translations say it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Now, in these two verses... I want, to walk, uh, I want to walk through two key truths that I believe that God is going to help us uh, explain, help us embrace as we come across this quandary of we are where we are for a purpose. And here's the first one, is we are not where we are by accident or random chance at all. So wherever you may find yourself, not just geographically, but relationally, vocationally, mentally, emotionally, you're not there by coincidence. You're not there by accident at all. You you can go back to the book of Zechariah. Of all the places 
that Zerubbabel could have been born, and of all the times throughout history that Zerubbabel could have been born in, God strategically and intentionally placed him there and then. Now, that brought about some unique opportunities for Zerubbabel. Namely, he got to be the one to rebuild the temple. But that also brought about some unique challenges to Zerubbabel. Namely, he was the one who had to rebuild the temple. Listen, again, Gainesville Oakwood online. You need to think about this for a second. Of all the places that you could have been born, and of all the times that God saw fit for you to be born and for you to live, He chose here and He chose now. Not by accident, not by coincidence, not by random chance. Now that understanding brings about some unique opportunities, right? So for example, this generation, our generation, the times in which we're living in, we have some unique advantages that past generations didn't have. I mean, can you, go, can you imagine going back to someone in the 1950s or 1960s and trying to explain Wi-Fi to them? I mean, it gives, my, it gives me a migraine just thinking about Wi-Fi myself. But it also brings about some unique challenges too, doesn't it? Being alive in 2023 brings about some unique challenges. Can I get you to do an exercise with me? Wherever you may be, Gainesville, Oakwood, if you're driving online, don't do this. You passengers can. Can I get you to close your eyes for a second? I want to walk you through something. We just close our eyes just to like kind of tune out all the distractions around us. With your eyes closed, here's what I want to ask you to think through. What do you believe is our biggest, our most personal pressing issue facing our church right now? What is the most personal pressing issue facing your family right now? What is the most pressing personal issue facing your relationships, your marriage, your job? What is the most personal pressing thing that is coming against your peace or coming against your joy? Okay, you can open your eyes. Be like, well, Ben, thanks. We're all depressed now. Thank you for that. Can I give you some hope this morning about however you may have answered that? Any of those questions, all those questions? The answer to our most personal pressing issues is not do better, try harder. It's not do better, try harder. You know how I know that? Because if the answer was to do better or to try harder, you would have already done it by now. If the answer is to do better and to try harder, there is no need for God. There is no need for Jesus in our lives. Can I say it another way? You and I do not have it within us 
to overcome our most personal pressing issues that we may face. And if we don't figure out how to navigate our challenges, our most personal pressing issues from a biblical standpoint, then we will never be able to seize the opportunities that God brings our way. In a world that says, do better, try harder, what does God say? Look back at verse 6. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What does that mean for us? It means it is not by job title. It is not by position. It is not by manpower or willpower that we will ever move forward from our most personal pressing issues. But it is what? It is by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, when I hear something like that, I also think, okay, if it's not manpower, if it's not willpower, it's just the Holy Spirit, then am I just like to just sit down, cross my arms and go, okay, God, I'm waiting. Well, no. We're not to become apathetic towards our personal issues. It just means that we engage in our personal issues in in a completely different way. So an unbelieving world, their answer to everything is, well, do better, try harder. When as followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to do. I'm called to walk and live in obedience to God's word and will while leaving the results up to him. I'm about to kind of let you in on the inside of like the rat hole of my, of my brain. Am I the only one that when coming across a, a, a pressing issue, that I try to control the results or the outcome of that? Anybody else? Or am I the only one that's like some spiritual degenerate? Okay, good. Thanks. I feel welcome. Oakwood. You know what I found when I try to control outcomes and results? I discover that number one, I can't. And number two, when I'm the one that tries to, to, to control the outcomes and results, I end up spiraling more in stress and anxiety because I'm trying to hold on to something that was never given to me to begin with. I'm about to set some of you free this morning, and this is something that I, I, I need to remind myself of. Results are the business of God. Outcomes are the business of God. What's my responsibility? What's my role? To walk and live in obedience to God's word and will. In other words, spending time reading scripture. Spending time with God alone. And not just reading it, but actually applying it. But actually applying it. You see, where you are this morning, you're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. But here's the second truth this morning. Is we are all here. Here's the common purpose. We are all here for the glory of God. Again, that's not just church talk. Let me kind of unpack that. Zerubbabel was called to rebuild the temple, right? But did you know it was never really about a building to begin with? It was never about a man. It was never about a building. 
What was it about? It was about a reminder. The rebuilding of the temple was a reminder that God was with his people and that God was for his people. And it was a reminder to all the nations around them that God was with those people and God was for those people. And it wasn't some exclusive thing. It was an outreach. It was an invitation. Hey, listen, our God, if you turn to him, he will be with you and he will be for you. Again, going back to the history, to the context of this, let me tell you what Jerusalem was like at this point in time. It was a straight up dump. Like we have families that are out on fall break, ain't nobody in the BC days taking their kids on a fall break trip to Jerusalem. They still had rocks, they still had stones that were overturned from uh, from, from, from the Babylonians ransacking the place. They still had walls that were charred. They still had rubble. They still had ash heaps. It was a dump. Nobody except for the Jewish remnant and the exiles wanted even to be there. So what better environment for God to show up and to show out and to show His glory? Let me remind you of something. Our God is a God that can transform rubble into redemption. Let me tell tell you about redemption. Redemption is when God picks up the, the pieces and the shards of a broken past and crafts it together into something beautiful that only He can get credit for. So this ragtag group of exiles that came back to a dump of a town of Jerusalem, God goes, that is my perfect people for me to show up and to show out and to get the glory because there ain't no reason that these people should get any glory other than my presence. God has a way of taking rubble and turning the rubble into redemption. I want to show you back in Zechariah 4. Check this out. In verse 7, it says, When Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, Zerubbabel's the man! Zerubbabel's the man! It's not what it says, is it? May God bless it. May God bless it. Remember what I told you. This wasn't about a building. It wasn't about a building campaign. It was about showing off the glory of God. May God bless it. May God bless it. Wherever you and I may be in our relationships, wherever you and I may be in life, God has a way of taking the rubble and wanting to redeem it. Do you know that overcoming the challenges that we face, they're not really about us. They're about about God. Think of it this way. My life, your life, our lives are to be the canvases of the master creator that when people look at us, they look at us and go, man, I don't get it. It must be God. That's why where you are right now, you're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. Where, coincidence wherever you are, did you realize it is a prime, it is a prime opportunity to bring glory to God? Did you realize that this time and this season in our church is a prime opportunity for us to bring glory to God? Do you realize that there are some things that God can only teach us when our backs are against the wall and we realize that it is way too big for us? 
to take on. That we've got to have God. Singles, did you, did you realize that your relationships right now, your friendships, your dating relationships, right now, this time, this season in life is a prime opportunity for you to bring glory to God in this time, in this stage, in this season of life? Couples, if you've, if you've been together for decades, if you're newlyweds, if you're closer than ever before, if you feel like y'all are, the, that y'all are just on the fringes and on the rocks, listen, the final chapter's not written, but did you realize that you are where you are as a prime opportunity to bring glory to God? At your work, in your school, be like, well, Ben, can I just be honest? And I hope we can be honest in this church, but I don't really like who I work with. That's fair. But did you realize that God placed you where you are, when you are, for a purpose? To bring glory, for, glory to God? He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He's at work. Now listen, I don't say this tritely. I don't say this as some type of like hyper-spiritual church talk. Hey, you are where you are, you know, bring glory to God. I'm not minimizing anything that any of us are going through. Here's just, here's just what I'm inviting us to all agree on. Maybe anything and everything that we're going through, every area and arena of life is just way too big for us. That's not defeatist. That's realistic. And maybe that's exactly where God wants us. It's for us to realize, God, this is too big for me. God, this, this stage and the season of parenting right now, it's just way too big for me. God, this stage in my career right now, it's way too big for me. God, where we are right now in our marriage, I don't have the answers. This is way too big for me. Be like, yes, but it's not too big for him. And church, I want to walk us through, just as a matter of reflection, I want to walk us through some, some key questions. And Oakwood, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jim down there so he can walk you all through these live in the room. Or maybe there's just something that, that, that God has laid differently on his heart and that he's sensitive to that movement. But love y'all. Uh, praying for y'all, with y'all. But if you're still with us, I want to walk you through four key questions this morning. What are the main challenges that you're personally facing in life this morning? Let me take a quick survey. Anybody come in here with a blank slate this morning? No? Okay, good. We all got challenges, right? What are the main challenges? The first step in experiencing redemption is being honest with yourself about yourself. What are, the, what are the main challenges? Number two, have you come to a point that you've realized that these challenges are far too big for you to handle on your own? That's kind of a tough one to answer in church, right? Because when we come into church, if there's ever a question that's asked, if you say Jesus, prayer, or Bible, you can usually be right with one of those three answers. But just... Put away the church talk for a second. And let's just get really honest. There's some areas in our life that we realize our desperate need for Jesus. And there's some areas in our life that if we're really honest with ourselves about ourselves, we're like, hey, Jesus, I know that you're bigger and you're better than me, but I got this. Can I let you in on something? The more you realize that certain areas and arenas of life are too big for you, 
the more God begins to open your eyes to the fact and the reality that all areas and all arenas of life are too big for you. That's why our call is not to put Jesus above all things, is to ask Jesus to be in all things. Third question. When you look at where you are, what you're facing, do you see rubble or do you see the opportunity for redemption? There may be some of us this morning that we, we, we come in here maybe making, making a, a deal with God, maybe a husband, maybe a, a wife, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker. Listen, I will come to church with you today if you get off my back and don't ask me again. You don't know who I am. You don't know my past. Jesus and God and the Bible, that's great for somebody like you, but not for somebody who's made all these mistakes. If you really knew my past and you looked back at my rearview mirror, it is just covered in ash from all the burnt bridges and all the rubble. Can I give you some encouragement if that's you? If you're just looking at rubble, God doesn't love you because he doesn't know about the rubble. God loves you in spite of the rubble. And it actually gets even better than that. God actually wants to redeem the rubble. The question is, will we have faith to allow him to engage in our fragments? Have you accepted your past as your new norm? Or do you sit there and go, God, if you can take this mess and you can make something beautiful out of it, have at it. But you got to give it to him. He's not going to take it from you. You got to give it to him. And then number four. What does walking in obedience to God's word and will require of you? Let me tell you, we will never as people, we will never naturally drift towards godliness or righteousness or holiness. I don't know about you. I do not naturally drift towards obedience to God. I just don't. I naturally drift off to sleep. I don't drift towards obedience. That's not, my, that's not my default. That's why I need to spend time in God's word. But it's not just to build up knowledge. It's, 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 to, it's to change the way that I make decisions and choices. So what does walking in obedience to God's word and will require of you? In just a moment, we're going to pray. And if you want to come down and you want to pray here, Almost symbolically, God, I'm going to bring my rubble and I'm going to bring it over to you. I'm going to bring it down to you and lay it down. And God, if you can take it and you can redeem it, God, have at it. Because it's not about me, it's all about you. Maybe you just need to pray with somebody and go, hey, listen, I'm having a hard time being obedient to God in this season. I want to be. There's just this tug of war in my life. We'd love to pray with you. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray over us. I want to just open up this time for the Holy Spirit to move how He wants to move. And you respond however He calls you to respond. God, we thank You for Your Word. And God, we thank You for Your faithfulness and for Your love. God, that Your love is not based on some fairy tale version of us. God, Your love for us is not based on the best version of ourselves. God, Your love for us is not based on ignorance of what we may be thinking, of what we may have done. God, your love for us is based on, a, on who you are. 
God, you choose to love us. And God, not only do you choose to love us, but God, you choose to use us. God, you choose to do the unthinkable. When we want to tear out the pages of our life's journey this far, God, you actually, those are actually the pages that you want to use the most for your glory, for your honor. God, our prayer and our desire is that people would look at us not only as a church, but as individual followers, as individual sons and daughters of yours, and look at our lives and what you're doing and go, I don't get it. How does that person have so much peace? How does that person have so much love? How does that person have so much joy? To where they don't look at us, God, they see you. But God, help us view our rubble through the lens of possible redemption. God, whatever we may be struggling with, whatever we may be battling with, help us to understand that we are in the right place to interact with a holy God. God, you not only know it, but you can do something about it. So God, this time, if you are calling us to step out, to come down and pray, or to come down and pray with someone, bring someone with us, God, that we would be obedient to do that. But God, you move among us. God, in a very, very personal way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.